0: Hello, this is Tree Speech, a podcast where we strive to hear the forest through the trees. I am Jonathan Zoutner, the producer of this podcast, and with co-creator Dory Robinson, we wanted to replay our episode on the 9-11 Survivor Tree to commemorate the anniversary of September 11th. This episode originally aired two years ago and featured an interview with guest Ron Vega, who was instrumental in the saving, care, and placement of the Survivor Tree as part of the National September 11th Memorial at the World Trade Center in downtown New York City. I visited the memorial on a hot afternoon this past week and was delighted to see how tall all the rows of trees that were planted have grown. Their canopy provided a coolness to the air, and the space felt sacred. Though there were many people visiting the grounds, there was a quiet reverence throughout. I spotted the survivor tree instantly and made my way to her. Though visibly staked, braced, and cabled, The tree was majestic. Her low guardrail contained many notes, flags, charms, and trinkets attached to it. I walked nearby to find a place to sit and to watch the tree. And her lingering importance could immediately be felt by the people and tours who continually stopped to see, honor, and photograph her. I was surprised by how important her resilience and story remain. I recognized that I too was rooting for this tree and felt comfort in her presence. Even 22 years later, being at the memorial returned the confusion and grief of the tragedy to me. This past summer, I also visited the survivor tree at the Oklahoma City National Memorial and its role in our collective healing was also evident by the hope that it provides to the people that visit and gather beneath her leafy embrace at this time we need the symbolism of these trees in this ever-changing and often confusing world their resilience against the most tragic and greatest odds encourage us forward to creative problem solving and cooperative collaboration that is key to our own survival here is dory robinson and the september 11th survivor tree episode featuring ron vega
1: It was October 2001. The dust had not even settled in New York, yet this country was trying to keep moving forward. We were overwhelmed and confused, and many clung to the news for any bit of information that would help make sense of this new chaotic world. Volunteers came from all over the country and worked around the clock with first responders to assist with the rescue efforts at Ground Zero. Stories about victims, survivors, and first responders surfaced daily. Crowds in lower Manhattan struggled to get a glimpse of the afflicted area, but the streets were blocked off with barriers, which were then transformed into makeshift memorials covered with flags, photos of missing loved ones, drawings, and flowers. Within the gray wreckage and smoldering rubble, the desolation of lives and hopes A few green leaves were spotted amidst the debris. It was a tree, a badly damaged calorie pear tree, its upper branches shattered and torn off, its roots and limbs snapped and its trunk blackened and burned. Yet the recovery workers were compelled to pull it from the rubble in hopes that it would live. Today's guest, Ronaldo Vega worked the entirety of the recovery effort at Ground Zero as a city worker from September 2001 through July 2002. He later returned to the site to facilitate the creation of the National September 11th Memorial and Museum, first as the project manager and then as the Senior Director of Design and Construction. Ron was there the night the calorie pear tree was found and helped excavate her, beginning what would become a 10-year journey of symbolism and survival, which continues even to this day. I spoke with Ron on September 10th, 2021, one day before the 20th anniversary of September 11th, to discuss The Survivor Tree. So can I start by asking when did you first become aware of the calorie pear tree that would become known as the survivor tree?
2: So during the recovery effort, uh, we had three shifts that worked uh, 24 hours a day, but the shifts were actually 10 hours each. And um, my shift was the second of the shifts. So it started in the afternoon and ended right about one in the morning. And so uh, during one of the shifts, one of my colleagues, uh, Rebecca Clough, Um, who had worked, uh, my agency is DDC, New York City Department of Design and Construction, but uh, the agency itself was put together uh, similar to an all-star game uh, team, uh, um, all-star roster, because basically they took the the best from each agency and pulled them all together to create this one unit that would design the city's needs. And so Becky came from uh, Parks Department. It wasn't serendipity as much as it was uh, almost predictable that she would find the survivor tree and it was during one of our um overnight sessions where we had this uh, the debriefing where we turned over information she mentioned it um and she went to great effort to have the tree pulled out of the debris field it was dead it was absolutely dead it, it was known as mortally wounded that's the status it had but when we saw it because she talked to us about it and she said look there's branches and on those branches are leaves the tree was completely uprooted and is lying on its side and out of the debris are two branches with leaves on them. That tree is dead. If that, either it, it's dead or it's dead and it doesn't know it's dead. Mm. And no tree pushes out leaves in October unless it wants to live. And so that's how I found out about the tree. The tree, uh, in essence, we were, we weren't allowed to really talk about it too much. It, it would, it would be not only difficult, but in many ways, uh, harmful to the families if they knew that we spent any time away from looking for their loved ones to save a dead tree. I don't think they'd understand. Uh, you know, maybe some of them are tree huggers, but in general, we weren't allowed to take any time away from the task at hand. And so it was uh, removed from the site in the middle of the night. Parks Department came down with uh, a little uh, little, uh, flatbed truck. We picked up the tree and put it on the back of the truck. And that's, for all intents and purposes, the last we were going to see of the tree and using human terms we, we put the patient in the ambulance, sent them off to the hospital and that's all we knew about it.
1: Do you remember how it how you felt the first time you saw the tree? Can you remember how it impacted you?
2: Being on a site with so much death, any sign of life gave us hope. it gave us inspiration. And maybe that's why we didn't really follow up on the tree after we put it in the so-called ambulance, is because we didn't really want to know that it died after that. We only wanted to know that it was living while it was in our custody. It was living, and we gave it a chance to continue living. So it was a a small act of kindness and a horrible, horrible, horrific sight. And it was, as I tell everybody, it was the last living thing to leave that site. So that's how we felt.
1: Wow. I I can't even imagine what it must have taken to stay up even later, to go even farther, to do even more and to then let it go.
2: I don't want you to imagine. I don't want anybody to imagine.
1: Yeah. If
2: that stays with me forever, that's fine. But there's a happy ending to this story. So
1: Right. So, I mean, it was years before you saw her again. What made you remember her and seek her out?
2: So after the recovery effort, um, uh, and the city wasn't really prepared to deal with all the trauma and the, the traumatic stress of the the workers who had spent, in my case, ten months down at that site. And so all of us kind of looked for for ways to understand what happened and and, and seek people that could tell us how did you how did you keep going? How did you live on after this horror? What let you live on? What let you recover? And so we were able to re- reconnect with the um, they call themselves the 419 uh, community, the people that had survived the bombing in Oklahoma City. And so uh, through many organizations, we were actually sponsored to go and do a almost like an exchange uh, student program where we would go out there on their anniversary, and they would come out to New York on our anniversary. Now, they had already built their memorial. They were already done with the memorial. Everything was in place. And the people that we went out to see were survivors that survived that bombing, that came out of that building and, you know, they were able to, 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 to hug us in a different way, right? To say, we get it. We get it. And this is what you're going to face. And this is what's coming. But we're here for you. And uh, yeah, you're going to have a lot of sleepless nights and you're going to have a lot of terror attacks. And it's all going to be, it's all going to happen. But if you know it's coming, you can brace yourself. And that's what they offered us and that's what they gave to us. And their Memorial in Oklahoma City, they have a survivor tree, a really large American uh, elm tree. And uh, so that story inspired me, that story of how the tree was um, in the middle of a bombing and was embedded with a shrapnel and glass and even human remains. And, and uh, the only reason they didn't chop the tree down was it was, it, was out of, it wasn't really bothering the operation, the recovery operation. So They left it there. And sure enough, it started to recover. It started to grow. And uh, they went in there and they took out everything they could that was embedded in it. And uh, they kept that symbol, and sure enough, their in in essence, their entire memorial is uh, is made uh, on the basis of that tree, the survivor tree, the original survivor tree. So I kept that in my head, uh, the survivor tree, uh, the symbolism of it, the beauty, the beauty of it. Again, everything is meant to be, or you know, just happens, and and you just got to go with it. But um, I left a recovery effort. I'm an architect, and I left a recovery effort. I went back to my city agency and. Uh, the agency had uh, pretty much restructured itself because 9-11 just didn't destroy those buildings. It destroyed the economy. I, I, I was brought down to the site. I spent 10 months there. And uh, when I left to come back, uh, I was the last person to work that site. I, I uh, symbolically or met- metaphorically closed the door and gave the keys back to the port authority. When I came back to my agency, <laughs> there was no job for me. My whole unit was disbanded because there was no money. So it's like adding trauma to trauma. I felt like I you know, got fired after spending 10 months on the project, I had no home. I, I kind of struggled for a while going from unit to unit. Uh, last unit I was with was the libraries and we did build about three or four libraries. But as luck would have it, uh, one of my colleagues who worked at UDC had taken a job as the vice president uh, for the 9-11 Memorial. Uh, first, I was a project manager for the Memorial and then I became the senior director of design for the entire complex. In that position, I was uh, given the plans and told what the future concept was. And I was looking at the plans and I flipped through and there was a page that had uh, stones, the stonework that we were going to have on the plaza, all the cobblestones and all the large pavers. And on some of the pavers were inscribed different things like North Tower, South Tower, greenwich Street. you know basically there were going to be markers that was the initial thought didn't happen that way but initially there was a drawing in the set that had that as a concept and off in the little corner was a stone that had the word survivor tree on it said survivor tree wait a minute and i remembered i said man whatever happened to that tree i mean i have the time i can find out what happened you know, it's been several years and the people that were involved either retired or took other jobs or went to the private sector. It took me a month to find out where the survivor tree was. And they took it up to uh, the Arthur Ross Nursery in Van Cortland Park in the Bronx. You know, they didn't have money, they didn't really have any resources. So they put it in a little corner and they left it there in the hopes that it would survive, but they really couldn't do much for it other than plant it against the fence. Even though it was not mu- it was not well known that this was the last living thing to come out of Ground Zero and it wasn't really publicized that the tree was there, the workers at the nursery knew, and they so loved this tree that they said, we've got to make this tree feel at home. You know, they, they pruned it, they did the best they could. They tried to, you know, give it good soil. and But the, the odd thing that they really did was they took uh, cobblestones and they recreated the World Trade Center around it. Two large stones they put vertically they put the other five buildings around it, and they planted a little American flag so that the tree would feel at home. And so in 2007, when I went looking for the tree, I was able to find it there. And this tree was in bad shape. I mean, it, it had started to come back, but it was still pretty damn ugly. But I fell in love with her. The moment I saw her, I said, you got, you got to come home. we got to get you home. And I had no authority. I had no concept. I'm just a lowly construction project manager on the memorial. And, I, and you know, no one was going to listen to me. But I made a promise to myself, I'm going to bring that tree home. So a lot of things that uh, could not have been anticipated happened. The landscape architect for the memorial, his partner passed away. And so he couldn't take being in New York after that. There was a void on who was going to take care of the trees, and so I want. I became the the master of the memorial trees, the master of the memorial site. In that capacity, I was able to um, finagle my way into getting a story about the survivor tree in the New York Times, and we started to make our way, make our. I I just basically wanted people to know about this tree and tell the the story of how it survived. And to tell that it was making a comeback in in the bronx and how was new york tough i mean this tree basically was downtown manhattan it was in the south side of manhattan and it went as far north as it could go without leaving new york city so it is it had gone as far as it could to stay in new york city it worked people started like you know soliciting and asking that uh, we do something about this tree and uh, I got the uh, I got the our design team to look at it and and believe me, no one was in favor of this. No one was in, nobody wanted to help because, first of all, it's a calorie pair, right? calorie pears are so troublesome that they stop using them as city trees in New York. You you can't get a calorie pear to be planted on the sidewalk in New York City anymore. Uh, The arborists, the tree experts, everybody said, I don't bother with that tree. Of course, Peter Walker, the landscape architect for the memorial out in California. He said, what are you doing to me, Ron? I've got this concept, you know, symmetrical trees, you know, all in line. You know, uh, you just can't mess with my concept. It really was a hard sell to bring this tree back to the memorial, but I, I wouldn't give up. And I think they realized that. And I took a lot of heat, believe me. I took abuse from everybody, you know, because everybody thought it was a waste of time. Everybody thought that, you know, I, I was this uh, maniacal tree hugger and what is wrong with you, Ron? We got bigger things to do We, you know, we got to find money to, to get the memorial built and you're wasting money. I'm not wasting money, guys. Everybody who's involved here is gra- as has offered to do it for free. Mm. Everyone I've asked. I said, I can't pay you. I kind of have a penny for this. So don't worry, Ron. We got you. So even till today, the maintenance of that of that tree is being done by barley tree experts for free. So there's no money involved. It's just, just a bureaucracy I had to go through. I had to, even though it was a tree that belonged to the site, it was in the custody of the Parks Department. I didn't have the memorial built yet, guys. <laughs> I need to know I have this tree so that I can then Commission or, or, or deal with how we were going to present it. And so, yes, so we had to lobby for it. And as the tree grew and got more and more beautiful, you know, I, again, there's so many little subtle things, but when I first saw it, it was so ugly. But even in its ugliness, a family of mourning doves built a nest and built a family in it. Mourning, as in sadness, mourning, the exercise of mourning. And basically, every limb, the very limbs that let us. Uh, find the tree. They brought attention to the tree so that we could say, "Let's save you." Those limbs had to be cut off. Every limb on that tree had to be pruned off because it was so badly burned that they would invite infection and you know, insects uh, would would come into it. And we had to. Uh, it was it was a mess that tree, and yet by the next spring it had a whole new growth. And that was another piece of the tree that uh, was amazing in, in telling a story because it's an old gnarled tree, but the new growth is smooth. And so there was an easy demarcation between the time before 9-11 and the time after 9-11. It it, it was almost like, yeah, man, I've got scars, but the scars are here to tell you to have hope, to believe again. The tree
1: itself tells its story in that way. All you have to, you can touch it, you can see it.
2: Not so much now, you know, it's it's pretty much all neural, (laughs) dark furrows. It's it's hard to tell the demarcation other than the fact that it kind of has knuckles where the old, uh, you know, branches were, it kind of grew out of the knuckles. So you can you can tell people, there's where this tree used to greet people coming off uh, at the entrance of the of uh, World Trade Center. And probably your loved one uh, passed by this tree every day. It was there before your loved one died, and uh, and it's here now after they're gone twenty years. After all I went through, and and believe me. Uh, I don't want credit for it. I don't want acknowledge it for it at all. The Survivor Tree has given so much more back than I could have ever hoped for. Uh, the tree uh, is so symbolic now, and we have taken that tree and we've cloned it. We've gotten seedlings from it. Uh, you know, once we planted the tree, the mayor at the time, uh, Mayor Bloomberg, said, "You know, we've got to make sure this tree doesn't die. We've got to make sure it lives on forever." And so uh, he sponsored the, uh, the seedling program. And uh, we didn't even know that the tree would even be able to give seeds and, and the seeds would survive. The tree had been so badly burned. And it takes many years for fruit to come back on a tree. And this is a, you know, it's a mini pear tree. So it, it does have tiny little pears, look like olives. Some of them are as big as olives. So we went to a tree expert out in Connecticut and we gave him, they did all the, 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 all the seeds off the tree in late november and we waited and we waited and we waited and sure enough the tree started the seeds started popping out so we knew we had a chance that this tree would have uh uh offspring that could be used in the future and we got so many of them we had to develop a program what do we do with them now
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean and the first one that was delivered i believe was to boston uh
2: it's funny you should say boston i actually hand delivered that myself Sadly, there, there's no uh, shortage of, of tragedies happening right in the world. It's just which is the latest one, right? I mean, Ida coming through and killing 13 people in New York City. Come on. Come on. So, uh, you know, I took the one to Boston and I know you're from that area. And it was very hard for me because I'm just such a Yankee fan to give one of my trees away to somebody in Boston. But you know what? You had to <laughs> I met the mayor at the time, he was a cool guy, and uh, I said, look, you, you take care of this tree right now, and uh, it's your tree right now. Yeah, it started off as a New York tree, but now it's a Boston tree, and it's gonna be Boston strong. You you keep it in you and make it grow, and, and uh, we'll come visit you sometime in the future and have a hot dog underneath it and talk about baseball.
1: I think that we're of the same ilk that we see the value in a tree and it's resiliency and the symbolism of growth that it gives. What was it like when you actually repatriated her? What was it like when you actually brought her back? Uh, I believe it was December 22nd, 2010, the day that she returned home. Uh,
2: you, you—that's That was the happiest day of my life. I mean, I, I don't want my kids to hear this. I want my wife to hear, you know, wedding days and births of my children. But, you know, after that, it was a happiest day of my life. We, uh, you know, so even at that moment, because keep in mind, uh, I, I know I skipped over a lot and I don't know, we don't have much time, but the tree was once again traumatized. We had a nor'easter going through in 20, uh, 20, 20, 29, knocked the tree down, not uprooted the tree completely and uh, it knocked down, you know, like 15,000 trees in New York City. Now, I had always, uh, you know, as, as I was lobbying for the tree to come down to the memorial, I was visiting a tree every weekend. And I was ta- talking to the people at the site. I said, guys, uh, I know you don't have much choice. You put it here in this corner of the, of the, the nursery, but you put it up against a fence. Half the tree is not getting any sun. So half the tree is not growing out the same way the other half is. And so I lobbied to have the tree relocated. To the nursery in New Jersey, where we had all our other trees, the, the uh, swamp white oaks that we had, um, we had a site the size of the memorial, and the trees were all sitting in boxes that we had uh, the Quakers make for us. I mean, everybody got involved; everybody had a piece of this, and so the boxes were on grids in the exact same orientation and place that they would be when they got into the memorial. So they they. In essence, we would throw a rag over their head and then kidnap them, bring them to the site, take the the netting off of it, and they wouldn't know that it had been moved. And so that's how we handled it. So I said, you know what? We've got this set up. Every tree has its own microchip. we we got a guy living on the site taking care of the trees. You know, these trees are being uh, well cared for. Let me bring this uh, the survivor tree to Jersey. And uh, so I had set up the operation to take it to Jersey and uh, it was going along and being set up in New York while I was in uh, Italy picking the stone for the plaza. So I'm in Italy and I get a call. A nor'easter came through New York. The survivor tree has been knocked over. I called the next plane back and I said, but guys, I know there's nothing you can do. You don't have any way of saving that tree, but just put mulch, wet mulch on the roots. Give it a chance. Let's let's see what happens, you know? And uh, when I finally got to see the tree, it was horizontal, but half its root system had curled and stayed in the ground. The other half was waving at me. And they had done that, they had put the wet mulch on it. So I said, you know what, I I, I appreciate what you did. You know, we gotta do the best we can. So I had the bar of the tree experts, experts come in and I had uh, the, the experts that we used to, to move trees, environmental tree movers, and they came and they looked at it and they, and they, they pulled me aside. Ron, we got bad news for you, Ron. I said, no, 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 don't tell me this. I don't want to hear this. No, no. It, maybe it's not as bad as you think. We are not moving this tree. If we move this tree, it's going to die. If we move this tree, the half of the root system that's living is going to go into shock and we're going to lose the whole tree. Man, I so badly want to take that tree out of there because I was a little upset that they let it fall. You know, you had this wonderful magical tree in your possession and you, and you didn't die it. You didn't guy it down. You, <sighs> So, and I, I, I acquiesced, okay, we're going to leave the tree here, but can we guide it down? Like, can we put a box around it? Let's make it secure so it stays in place. And so they did that. They guided it down. They actually excavated it as low as they could go. They slid it in a box under it. They made it secure. And, and we left it there. Then we waited because that was March and the tree blossoms in April. So I knew that if the tree, because, you know, it lost half its root system. So that means that half the tree is going to blossom. The other half might just stay dead. And if the other half dies, I can't bring it back to the memorial. As much as I love the tree, I, I couldn't have that traumatic sight on the memorial. And so we waited and we waited. And sure enough, in April, the whole tree was white. It was gorgeous. When we finally got that tree and we knew it was going to survive and we knew it was going to be awesome. We knew it, it would come back. You know, my heart just sang. And so I, I, I made the effort to bring it that December down to the site. And so after all I went through uh we had a problem the tree had flourished so much that it would not fit under the um, the the bridges going down to new york city we had to find an open air pathway to take it to new york city you know we couldn't just she was
1: doing too well
2: yeah we we would we would uh, it's called uh, bridge pruning and so we had to find an open airway and that open airway was broadway and we drove this huh. tree- all the way from the rocks on Broadway, all the way down to this side. And I had to decide which face of this tree am I gonna show the public, right? Cause one side's pretty bald, the side that was facing the fence and the other side's pretty luxurious, you know, vibrant. I said, you know what? I want the public to see the side that had the most hardest time recovering. And so we split it. And so up until recently, cause they created a glade now in the memorial to honor the rescue workers. So most of the people now take the glade, and that glade brings you to the, the nice side of the tree. But up until recently, uh, the presentation to the public was the, the battered side, and that's what we decided to do. After that, as I said, one uh, little tidbit was that the Parks Department did do uh, cuttings of the tree. It's where they take the new growth of a branch, and they try to root them. And they had uh, they tried it, about 100, and maybe like five or six made it, because it's very difficult to get these trees to grow, even if they're rooted. And they were kind enough to give me one as a thank you. So I have a clone of the Survivor Tree, right? And I was I had it in my front yard and I was uh taking good care of it and it actually was flowering a little tiny little flowers, you know, five or six flowers on like in heaven. And then I get a call from the folks in Oklahoma City. They wanted a survivor tree. They wanted a survivor tree to sit alongside a sapling of their survivor tree in a little garden that they'd planted in uh in Oklahoma City. Uh, and so I gave him my tree and I drove it out there. And uh, so there's a, a one place in this whole country where uh 9-11 tree stands next to a Oklahoma city tree. I don't have a tree right now, but I know where it is. I know where it's living and I can go visit it. And it's, it's, it's awesome to see it. And everybody tells the stories now, you know, it's amazing. It's like, not only is the survivor tree on the World Trade Center Memorial tells stories, but now even its offspring tell stories.
1: I can just, I'm just sort of imagining the journey that you've been through, especially with the white swamp oaks that are very straight and there's a lot of um, straight lines in the memorial Right, and you're advocating for something that is imperfect, probably because it's imperfect. That's part of its beauty, right?
2: Yes, you're right. I mean, it was beautiful in its ugliness. It was beautiful in its ability to have survived. It was beautiful because so many damn people told me not to do it, and we still did it, and that made it more beautiful to me. Uh, I'm amazed at how many people think the same way. Yeah, Sometimes you think ah, I'm the only person on the planet that thinks thinks this way, and then you find that you're not alone. There's a lot of people who think the same way.
1: Have you heard stories of people who have seen the Survivor Tree at the memorial?
2: So many people like come upon it by accident, and and so <laughs> you know, and then you kind of, you, you kind of want to tell them, but you don't want to tell them. You want them to discover it, the magic of it and see if they're interested enough. So they'll, they'll pull over a dose and what's the story with this tree? And then they hear it and they're just like, they want to hug it. They want to take a leaf home. It's it's because it was there. It was there before the world changed. And you know, I don't know what poets said, but the, the, something to the effect that uh, the greatest gift a man can do is to plant a tree for which you will never sit under its shade. I believe that. I really believe that.
1: It must have been really wonderful. That moment that Ground Zero transformed into a memorial. Yeah, it's,
2: you know, Michael's design was that in the beginning it would be a memorial, but then it would evolve into a park. That's all I hope will happen. Uh, we have a, a clone of that tree in Central Park. In good time, if the tree does fail, God willing, uh, I don't want to be around when that happens, but we will be able to replace it with a younger version of itself. So we've got plans. We, we you know.
1: May I ask how you're spending tomorrow, how you're marking the day?
2: So uh, Bartlett Tree Experts, Bartlett has their arboreum in Connecticut. And uh, they had asked if they could have some of the um, saplings that we were growing. For as long as they will enjoy it, I'll take my grandchildren out there. So that's where I start off. And then uh, I, I make my way down to the site because... Despite the fact that I don't think any outsider could be closer to being an insider, I'm still not permitted on the site until the afternoon because uh, during the day, it's only family members and uh, you know victims' family members and, and their closest friends. And so about one o'clock or so, I go down. Well, I go to this site, pay my respects to the people I knew that got killed that day and uh, say hello to Survivor Tree. Uh, so that, after that, I, I have dinner with uh, someone who lost their daughter and, and, the, and she was murdered in the attacks and we've become very close to them. And he put it on his, made his agenda to have, they're from uh, Milwaukee. And so just last year in the middle of COVID, he got Milwaukee to dedicate, uh, to finish the Wisconsin 9-11 Memorial. And uh, myself and my buddy, Mike Kenny, we drove two survivor trees out there.
1: A lot of what we're going to be talking about this season is who's, who speaks up for the trees? What do the trees say? What are they saying? Who listens to them and who tells their story? So just, I mean, to me, the fact that you contacted the New York Times to tell the tree's story and that you knew that that was what, what needed to happen. You're, you're a true tree ambassador. And I thank you for, for everything that you do.
2: I think the trees thank us more than I, you could ever thank me. The trees give us more, right? You don't realize it, but, uh, uh, trees are almost eternal and, uh, you can, you can depend on a tree the trees that hook you up, they'll take care of you, you know? So, I mean, I know I, I, I said this and I don't know that it's going to happen, but, uh, I'd like to be, uh, uh cremated and I love my ashes to be spread at the survivor tree because, uh, I think that would be uh, the best way to, to, to rest in peace.
1: Ron, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. What a what an absolute joy it is. I'm really a joy to speak with you.
2: My pleasure. Take care, guys.
1: Ron is a dedicated and caring New Yorker who loves his city and its people. He has a rare generosity of spirit and is a natural leader and helper having also been instrumental in the redevelopment of housing destroyed by Hurricane Sandy, and more recently, being on a COVID vaccination team throughout the pandemic. During the interview, he also joked that his mustache made him look like the famous Lorax from Dr. Seuss's story. Mustache or no, Ron most certainly spoke up and championed the survivor tree generations of people from all over the world will feel the effects of his strength and determination. And I personally am so grateful for his foresight and commitment and innate understanding in the power and symbolism that the Survivor Tree has in our collective healing from the events of September 11th. What is so important about a small, charred tree? What does one tree offer when faced with a nation bruised by tragedy, Tree lovers, is there a symbol you look to for hope? Symbols have meaning. Some symbols have deeper meaning. They are a powerful gate to less conscious levels of human experience. Symbols evoke profound emotions and memories at a very primal level of our being, often without us making rational or conscious connections. The 9-11 museum states that new smooth limbs extend from the gnarled stumps, creating a visible demarcation between the tree's past and present. Today, the tree stands as a living reminder of resilience, survival, and rebirth. This makes her unique, especially compared to the other trees in the memorial. Symbolizing peace and serenity, over 400 white swamp oaks are lined perfectly throughout the plaza, each with a completely straight trunk and no visible knots or blemishes. That is what is so special about the Survivor Tree. Defying all the odds, she stands humbly, without even a marker. The Survivor Tree is surrounded by a memorial perfectly crafted with precise symmetry, with towering structures provoking awe and contemplation. But one look at the Survivor Tree reminds us that the road to recovery is not a straight or easy one. She reminds me that showing one's scars... Telling one's story and continuing after tragedy are all acts of bravery. Maybe we turn to trees because we can see ourselves in them. Like us, trees have veins, organs, and limbs. The survivor tree had the will to live, a quality that mirrors our own resiliency. Perhaps we turn to trees because a living memorial allows a unique opportunity for healing. Statues and plaques are permanent, fixed structures but a tree grows and changes over seasons and years, just like we do. For centuries, trees have been used for shelter, livelihood, and ceremonies, marking life events, death, and even rebirth. It is no wonder, then, that we reach out to the natural world for solace during difficult times. As Ron mentioned, the trees have come before us and will live long after us, all the while offering quiet assurance, reflection, and peace. We at Tree Speech and the Light Theatre Guild are incredibly grateful for your support as we launch this storytelling endeavor from seed to sprout. If you've enjoyed our episodes, Please like us on social media and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Every kind word helps. To learn more about the trees and our guests, see our show notes and visit us at TreespeechPodcast.com and on Instagram at TreespeechPodcast. This week's episode was recorded in Massachusetts on the native lands of the Wabanaki Confederacy, Penacook, Massachusetts, and Pawtucket people, as well as in New York on the land of the Lenape tribes. Tree Speech is produced by Jonathan Zoutner and the Light Theater Guild. Thank you for joining Tree Speech today.